Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators and the exponential minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Exponential Minds podcast. My name's Nicholas Badminton. I'm a futurist. I help my clients look out 5, 10, 20 plus years into the future so that clients can imagine incredible futures today and build resilient business. And today I'm incredibly excited to have a friend on the podcast, Lisa Amlani. Uh, Lisa is a retail industry expert with over 21 years of experience in her career. Lisa has worked with familiar brands, including Ralph Lauren Europe and Canada, Club Monaco, Nike, Walmart, and many others. Her experience encompasses brick and mortar, e-commerce, and omni-channel in the areas of product creation, merchandising, and product development. Uh, in shifting to consulting, she played an integral role uh, in Accenture's retail strategy group, where she was responsible for consulting with fashion brands and retailers, uh, providing insight on relevant topics, and, and helping people reimagine the future of retail. Currently, Lisa is the principal of her own company, Retail Strategy Group, uh, which is a consulting practice which helps companies in the retail space dramatically improve profitability, which is uh, hugely important in this uh, post-pandemic or mid-pandemic times that we find ourselves in. Lisa, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk about my favorite subject, retail. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I've, I've managed to be speaking about this over the. I hadn't really spoken about this to clients over the, you know, over the past few years. And in the last year or so, I've, I've chatted to franchisees, I've chatted to people in retail, I've chatted to, um, you know, high street associations. It's kind of interesting. And but but Lisa, can you just uh, give us a bit of a rundown of, uh, you know, how you how your your journey from sort of the beginning of of getting into retail to where you are today has sort of uh, shaped how things are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my journey was long. It is still going. <laughs> I uh, I started on the shop floor uh, I've since I think I was 14 years old. I loved being in retail was, you know, I've worked for Aldo and Holt Renfro and just and the Bay. <laughs> so I've, I've been around and uh, I moved to the UK in uh, 2000. I'm from there. And um, I, again, was back on the shop floor. I started at Harrods, uh, part of their program uh, for uh, getting into corporate. So I wanted to start my buying career. Uh, instead of uh, going into their buying office, I actually left Harrods and I was designing for a handbag and luggage company where my claim to fame was designing all the bags for FIFA World Cup 2002. Uh, super exciting for me, considering I never really watched any football and was from Chelsea and was not a supporter. So that right. was horrendous, but <laughs> I had a great time designing the bags for FIFA. It was very fun. Uh, then I actually moved back to Toronto and I started um, my buying career uh, where I was um, part of Holt Redfrew. Then I was recruited by Caban, which is part of Comonico. I bought all the women's wear and accessories for the brand. Uh, I also um, have worked for many department stores uh, like uh, Sporting Life, Sand Stores, which sadly closed down. Um, and then I did a little bit of consulting and styling 
I uh, realized that I was making no money. So then I'm like, okay, I need to rethink this plan. <laughs> and then uh, I went, um, I started to work for Ralph Lauren again. And I was, I think the third person hired, uh, part of Ralph Lauren Canada, where I was managing production and merchandising for the country. Uh, very interesting working with uh, different supply chains, um, 3PLs and setting up the business here. Um, very interesting that technology was was really painful back then. Uh, we could not uh, communicate with the U.S. and that was the that's why we opened a Canadian uh, office. I moved back to the U.K. in 2014, where I was the buying lead for Ralph Lauren uh, for Northern Europe for the Lauren brand. So I worked across UK, Ireland, Scandinavia, the Baltic, sometimes France. <laughs> and then um, I moved back to Canada in 2018, started my consulting career with Accenture, where I um, spent most of my two and a half years with um, a fabulous brand that I cannot name, but I will tell you that it is, um, I believe, a $40 billion footwear and apparel company. And they just released a very inclusive shoe last week. And you now know, I've started my own practice. Yeah, and th th I mean, this is this is really exciting to me because uh, everything's everything's on the floor for disruption in retail. It seems like these days. I mean, twenty twenty saw an assault on the high street and a, a shift to e commerce because we're all locked down. We're all in, you know, sat in our basements working away, or, or you know, we're we're not anywhere glamorous really. Well, certainly not the majority of us, right? Uh, <laughs> even people like Professor Scott Galloway have said that we we saw ten years of growth in e commerce in about eight months, which is absolutely insane. It's, it's not only just a, a shift of, of revenues, it's a shift of culture in a way, right? So I mean, yeah. you know, how, how has the past sort of year or so really impacted retailers, but um, made them think differently about the world? I mean, that's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that um, with that acceleration of technology really brought about um, retailers that weren't going to cut it, they, they basically died. <laughs> and I think that because they didn't invest in technology, um, you know, they, there was no way they were, they were going to keep up. And I think a lot of people talk about digital transformation. Um, you know, that's a huge, I think it's a buzz phrase, but what it actually means is not only going online and creating an e-com store, but it's really about merging the experience of digital and physical retail, um, looking at different ways to uh, talk to your customer, understand your customer, use the data from your customer and, you know, build better experiences for us, you know, on Zoom calls all day. <laughs> but also, uh, you know, investing in your people. I think it's, it's really that hybrid. You have to also invest in the people that are actually doing the work on the sales floor, behind the scenes. Um, you know, we're seeing that transformation slowly, but I think the customer centricity part of it all is the key to, to all of it. it. It seems to me as well, it's, it's interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything shut down, it's like, oh, you, clearly some people are going to fail here and this is going to be bad. Are retailers even going to develop, you know, clothing lines for the year? You know, how are they going to shift and whatever? But really we've seen, We've seen retail booming. Like, yes, you we've had to buy online, but we've still seen product, 
you know, working, you know, uh, you know, new products being developed. We're seeing uh, supply chains being, you know, um, being being challenged, but also sort of persevering and, and getting through, right? And um, it, it's interesting to me. So, I mean, in, in this time, I mean, what advice were you giving to, to, to your clients to help them sort of not only get through the tough times, but to prepare for a future? The, the one piece of advice that I always give my clients is just really understanding what your customer wants before they even want it in some cases. Um, that's where localization plays such a huge role. Uh, you know, building that sense of community within uh, your local stores, uh, you know, those big department stores like a Nordstrom, you know, opening the Nordstrom local stores. There's a reason for that. You know, it's right. not only about fulfillment, it's also about, you know, understanding your customer. Look at Nike. Nike is such a great example that I love to give people because they do such a great job in seamless integration across all channels, whether it's uh, their Nike app, being a Nike member. You know, you walk into the store, they, they understand not only that you, you know, took a yoga class through their app that morning, that you're really interested in golf because you keep looking at golf things, but you abandon your cart. Um, that you love running. So, you know, the Nike, Nike local live store is a great example of how they're using all those points of data and creating that amazing experience for the customer. So looking at your customer when you're making all your decisions, whether it's buying product uh, development, product optimization, and of course the customer experience um, across all channels, it really touches all of those things and it all comes down to the customer. Yeah, this is about ecosystems, right? Everything's interconnected yeah. than ever before. You know, there's not like the e-commerce team over in the corner and the physical design team over in the corner and the product people in their white yes. castle in the corner. Like, don't speak to us. We're inventing, you know, um, we're inventing like season fashions for two years, two years right. time sort of thing. It seems it seems like uh, fast fashion is 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 kind of been redefined. <laughs> Yes, yeah. it is. It yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. So it it's is. it's it's no longer just like from from the catwalk to the shops and 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 cheap you know cheap goods. It it seems like there's been a shift. Have you have you seen a shift in in the trends uh, within retail in terms of how much people are willing to spend, what kind of goods that they're buying, uh, and the such like? Yeah, um, I think that people are willing to spend on product that um, they feel invested in. So. For example, most customers, I would think, <laughs> are really um, pushing sustainability across their entire life, uh, whether it's the products they buy, how much energy they use, um, what they're, they're doing in their homes to, to better their lives for uh, generations to come, right? So I think sustainability is a good one because they're holding retailers accountable. Um, investors are holding governments and retailers accountable. So that accountability is directly related to the claims that uh, retailers and brands are making around sustainability and um, social and uh, ethical ways of working. So I think that um, there's more investment there. So if a retailer like a or a brand like an all brand, uh, all birds, sorry, yeah. is, um, you know, is, the, the shoe company, right? All birds. Yes, yeah, exactly. They're displaying their carbon footprint on their labels right? or, um, you know, Everlane. I don't love to talk about Everlane because they have a lot of other challenges, <laughs> but I mean, it's great that they show uh, the factories uh, that they're, uh, you know, developing their product in 
or there's technology out there that is being used a lot more where customers can actually see where things are being produced, like a source map, for example. You can go on there, you're, you're wearing your van check shoes, and you can see what factories and what they look like um, on source map. So I think that investment, um, people are willing to spend the money on product if they have an investment and into the um, the beliefs that the brand uh, puts out there and that they're aligned. It, it, it's kind of, yeah, once you get into the mindset of a brand, and I, I'm kind of new to spending money, you know, a decent amount of money on on, on apparel and clothing. You know, I got to put my hand up, like I'm a sneakerhead. So I'm, I, you know, I buy sneakers. I don't really speculate in them. I just really love, you know, new kinds of, of sneakers. But I've just started spending, you know, a decent amount of money. In clothes. I just bought myself a Rick Owens t-shirt. Right. Nice. Right. It, it was in the sale because I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars on a Rick Owens T-shirt. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> it's kind of insane in, at the same time. But we've kind of got this interesting world of, of like haute couture and this yeah. responsibility. And, you know, we, we, we've seen Patagonia. Uh, very famously sort of don't buy this jacket and we've seen uh, people like lululemon sort of you know face up to some of the you know sustainability claims of of their luon sort of uh, materials and whatever and it's yeah. it, it, it's been good this eco movement um behind fashion has been has been good there as well but what's really interesting to me is the shift the shift towards resale. I mean, they're saying that resale is going to like um, grow twice as fast as new apparel in the next sort of four or five years, and that you know we're not buying new clothes as much as we used to. We're buying you know old classics or things that are now seen as trendy, and you know the kids the kids are sort of really pushing the the boundaries in that i mean what have you seen on that that side because you work with apparel and retailers people pushing new product are they are they starting to sort of really get on board with this idea of of old product i would say 100 percent uh i think that the circular economy as more brands talk about it i think there's um a lot more investment into companies like the rail rail and poshmark and thread up but also companies like Levi's, uh, that's a great example. It takes like, I don't know, 90 gallons of water to make one pair of jeans. So what Levi's is doing is that they're actually sharing the knowledge of what they're learning around polluting the climate and how they can be more efficient. And they're sharing that knowledge across brands so that other brands also uh, infuse circularity into their business model. We know that Ikea is doing it. You know, they're, I think the news came out in the summertime where they're part of that um, resale mall outside of Stockholm. I, you know, there's other companies uh, doing this too. I think Nike is also doing it where you bring back your, uh, you know, used Air Force Ones and then they'll repurpose it and they'll put it into development of new product like the rubber on the sole of the, the new shoe. So I think that um, circularity of product and brands and how they're relating uh, what they're doing back into product development for the customer and getting that customer involved to not only um, validate the product before it's even made, but also bringing that customer along on the journey by sharing knowledge. 
It's it's interesting. Like I actually bought a pair of Nike uh, Space Hippies, and the Space Hippies are literally made uh, a certain amount of them uh, by weight. I think it was like sixty percent of them by weight is actually you know recycled goods, and it, uh, the sole is made out of like the the off the offshoots of of other soles and things that that were faulty and whatever. It, it's kind of cool, right? I didn't know that example about Levi sharing knowledge, but it kind of. Yeah. It seems like fashion and apparel retail is very much like the people in the laboratory, you know, engineering new things. And suddenly, wow, here's, here's a, it's like the first to the first to the post or the new new sort of rebellion of, of, of thought sort of hits the streets. And then suddenly, like everything changes. We saw it with Vivian Westwood. We saw it with Gautier in the 80s um, and 90s as well. I mean, today we're seeing brands like Acronym and Cavem and all this like really obscure kind of. Uh, cool brands as well sort of pushing forward with with classics like rick owens and levi's and all these people you, you talked about poshmark in there as well i've got a friend down in the united states that she turned around she said she lives in quite an affluent area of silicon valley and uh you know and and her husband's been a friend of mine since i was 14 and and uh so i go down there and i see them and she's like uh she's she's a mother and she looks after the kids and she was like oh what can i do and she makes a a couple of thousand dollars a month on poshmark flipping like (laughs) everything that she finds and it is incredible this the the world the world has has shifted it seems so i mean what's next i mean what, what what's new and exciting and what's next or are we gonna really double down on the circular economy and make that the de facto standard i think that sustainability sustainability and circularity go hand in hand yeah so you know i think that the one lesson to be learned out of the posh marks the thread marks selling a uh, thread up selling on the platforms and of course um just seeing how much good they do, I think is great. But then what we're not talking about is the the overconsumption of the consumer right. and the overdevelopment of the retailer and you know the how we cannot see actually what's happening um, when they're sourcing products. So that supply chain transparency is still such a huge, huge uh, challenge. And I think that as we move forward in the next, I would hope five, 10 years, that we will get more visibility into those remote remote parts of the world where, you know, unethical ways of working are still so prevalent. And a lot of it comes down to corruption of, you know, governments. And, you know, sadly, fast fashion, traditional fast fashion <laughs> um, is, you know, a big culprit there because, you know, they want, they're making goods for so cheap. They're, you know, the labor costs alone are just, it's shocking. So I think that that's something that's, you know, going to really come out into the open, uh, which will really change the way we buy. So we'll buy less, we'll have products for longer, uh, which is great. We're going to use data to actually build products, uh, not only from like a sampling and waste perspective, but also using technology like 3D printing or digital twins uh, to show customers the product before you make it to make sure that this is something that they actually want. And we're also going to, I think, as consumers, we'll want to consume less. So I think that's going to really bridge that gap between overdevelopment of retail and consumption of consumer. 
it's, it's interesting isn't it where you've, you've got trends like minimalism and then i i tried i tried minimalism yeah. for about a year and i couldn't wait to move back into my apartment and buy things and have different clothes <laughs> and my, there's a personality around this and and i think that there's that that's the cultural element it's like a representation of who you are I, yeah. I I recently just bought some clothes because you know even, even though no one's going to see it, I need to I need to feel different on a daily basis, right? I watched a movie about five five years ago called The True Cost. Have you seen that movie about? I yeah, yeah. So uh, Indian and Bangladeshi workers in fast fashion and, and their treatment and that you know it really sort of shone a light on that on that supply chain here. I mean, how? I mean, you've, you've spoken about things like all birds saying their carbon footprint. We're talking about, you know, we've spoken a little bit about Patagonia. We've talked about uh, Levi sharing knowledge and all of that. I mean, how, how, do, how do retailers sit down and rethink who they are in the context of, of sustainability? It, it absolutely comes from leadership. I think once once leadership gets on board and they start thinking strategically on how they can uh, manage their business and really understand what the customer wants and pollute less, then I think they'll be held accountable uh, because they'll be looking at sustainability and circularity and what they're doing to the climate as, as a whole organization. It, it is a mindset shift and a culture shift for the whole organization but it does come down to leadership. And, you know, we talk about fast fashion and I do think that that term is gonna mean something different where we're gonna be able to use uh, smart technologies like smart fit and uh, smart sizing to produce less product and produce the right product so that there's less returns sitting in landfills and um, we're delivering the right product to the customer. And it really does come down to technology, but also leadership. <laughs> has to be on board with the the messaging that the customer actually wants it, it's it's also platform as well even beyond uh e-commerce and it's the it's the it's the community and, I, and you touched on community earlier as being a hugely important thing i mean etsy i mean what a story etsy has been absolutely explosive growth over the years and what could have just been a sort of a hokey little, you know, community of makers that sold trinkets has turned into something that's that's a real powerhouse that, that that's that's made, you know, traditional retailers think differently about the world as well. I mean, it, when when we speak uh, to retailers and we try and work work things out, it's it, it seems like the leadership is is living in yesterday in something so many, so many, yeah. so many, I mean if you look at the story of Topshop in the UK we all grew oh, up right. with Topshop and and yes. I mean how how far can you fall and how wrong can you get it and it, it all came down to you know Philip Green and the Arcadia mm -hmm. group and the leadership and a focus on profits and not a focus on people right yes absolutely and what's interesting is that with ASOS buying Topshop, how are they going to keep the brand, use the brand, use the data from you know, the customers of that brand? And Boohoo Group, same situation with them buying Debenhams. They're buying the data. Right. They're buying that, the customers, uh, those digital customers. Um, but I think you know, as we talk about platforms, gaming is such a good one uh, to talk about where gaming plus the future of retail plus entertainment is all combined. So you look at um, Design Home, that uh, the game 
they're an apartment design game where they're partnering with traditional retailers uh, for digital product placement like West Elm and Pottery Barn. But they're, they got smart. They actually developed their own private label so that uh, not only can the users uh, look at all product available, but they can also buy seamlessly without leaving the game. <laughs> it's, it's actually amazing. I mean, I think Minecraft is going to do the same thing, um, knowing what they know when partnering with Uniqlo, where they actually have to leave the platform to actually make the purchase, which you could actually lose a customer. But engaging that, a different customer using uh, unconventional ways of selling, that is really the future. And it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up gaming as well, right? <laughs> Kids are spending billions of dollars on things that don't exist, but they do exist in the virtual realm, like Fortnite, or you, you, we've got virtual influencers as, as well. Yes. And things, things that can't or don't exist in, in reality are just being spawned in, in these digital worlds. Have you been have you been working with people on on like these digital products and and those aspects of of retail as well? Not yet. Um, I've been making suggestions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that I don't think we're there yet. I think that luxury has been incredible on how they have been um, aligning with gaming platforms. Uh, like Animal Crossing. I mean, I've never seen it personally, but of course I've read a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> Where Gucci, Dior, Burberry, they offer um, their their styling and their product on avatars. So I think that um, that bridge between reality and virtual has just, um, just open, has opened so many doors for, for retail that we just wouldn't have never thought of. I mean, with, you know, TikTok being a platform for fashion shows. I mean, you would never, ever, ever think that was going to happen. But it did, and it was successful. Yeah, it puts the power in the people and the, the consumer really and, and the influencers. Yeah. It's like every every influencer has got merch, right? Buy the T-shirt, yes. buy David Dobrik's, like, your clickbait T-shirt. <laughs> and it is something for the kids to have on the streets, right? And it's 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 interesting. This, this entire conversation is absolutely fascinating to me. It's one of the most confusing industries I've ever tried to wrap my head around because it's constantly changing and constantly evolving. And it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, so leadership, I, I would say leadership are on the back foot most of the time. And people like you are like two steps ahead, trying to convince them that this yeah. is the future, right? How do you how do you convince leadership of, of things that they, they just can't understand might be the future? Yeah. And I think that because of this 10 month of 10 years of acceleration in retail in 2020, uh, that technology is so in your face that leaders cannot ignore it anymore. Because if they don't get on board and start thinking about new ways of connecting with the customer, working with their retail backend, the staff, the merchandising teams, the people on the floor, and just elevating the experience and really seeing what's happening out there if they don't they are going to become the sir philip greens of the world and they are going to die yeah and <laughs> not and, saying he's dead obviously Talk yeah ex <laughs> exactly exactly but like you know <laughs> i always think you know 
do does the leadership believe in the product? Do they buy the product? I, I lived in Vancouver for a long time. Lululemon was there. Everyone wore Lululemon. Everyone, you know, everyone got into, you know, running or yoga or everything. And, and it was like an complete encapsulation of that brand. And the brand is going, you know, to the, to the to, to new heights of, of, of revenues and, you know, especially during a pandemic. And that, I think that's really interesting. This conversation has been fascinating from that reality of, of, of retail on the high street in e-commerce, but to also virtual, the idea of gaming and platforms like Etsy, Levi sharing knowledge, platforms like Poshmark completely changing changing the game in, in a way. I think that, that retail, for me, it, it's, it's so fascinating. And again, like I said, it's very difficult for me to wrap my head around it. I'm a, a practitioner in terms of being a customer. Uh, less of a practitioner like you in in terms of working in retail. So so Lisa, I think we're going to have to have another conversation in a few months, and yeah. and come back to it and say, okay, this is what we said uh, back in February 2021, uh, and now what are we saying in 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 February 2022? But Lisa Amlani, retail subject matter expert, I'd like to say <laughs> thank you very much for for being here on the podcast, and I look forward to chatting to you soon. Thanks for having me.